0: Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. What we have here are gospel-exalting qualifications for Eldership, such a high um, qualifications uh, for elders, for leaders in the church, which probably I, I would think today as uh, unique uh, to churches. Uh, churches who are faithful to God's word. And a sad thing is that even in churches today, uh, the qualifications for leaders have mellowed down, and it's more like a leadership outside the church already. I was um, in, in college when I was a varsity player. Our coach is a very good coach, and one time when we were playing in Tubigon um, Buhol, and after we played that night. Uh, my teammates were thinking of drinking outside and look for a bo- for bars, and we went to our coach. Yeah, we went to our coach, and we said, "Coach, can we go out and and go to these bars?" And our coach said, "Gusto uh, bang magpasama sa akin?" You know, and his point is, you don't have to tell me. My job is done coaching you. Outside of coaching you, you can do whatever you want to do and yet, really, he was our leader, but uh, we love him because he's a good coach and in this in this world that we're living, uh, for any people who can get the job done, uh, that is almost like the the sole qualification uh, required from a leader. when I was in um, when I was working already as a pharmaceutical uh, medrep and our our boss from Manila went to Cebu and he told us the next day that he was with us he told us about where he went last night and he was talking about you know he went to this place and that place but you know what we admire him because he was a good manager. This is what is happening in the world. It's about who can get the job done. And character today is not given such importance as it should be. As it should be. Well, this is happening in the world, should this also happen in the church? Should this also be the way we um, choose our leaders in the church? Uh, so long as somebody manifest giftedness, eloquence, and some sort of strong leadership, should we appoint that someone to be an elder in the church? This is why Timothy, or rather Paul, clearly told Timothy on the qualifications of elders. Most of the false teachers at that time, used to be elders in the church. How sad can it be? Most of these false teachers were elders in the church, and it is most likely that many of these false teachers were advanced in years. They were advanced in years, and for sure, at least, they have a lot of influences to a lot of people in the church. It's it's more like today if someone left the church, we can always, you know, be concerned of that person's influence towards some of us in the church. That was what was going on. It was not simply that Timothy would would ask someone to leave the church without any effect to the church. Quite hard to do. And I've learned from the book of Alexander Stroch, um, Taking his cue on 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 to 5, and 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, that these false teachers were not soft, they were fierce, um, fiercely argumentative. You know that they were they will not just leave without arguing, quarreling, uh, without this dividing the church, they were quite argumentative. Now think about that picture. Think about that picture. That was stress. It was stressful for this young Timothy. How would Timothy, the current elders with him, and the about-to-be-installed the about elders, prove themselves to be genuine leaders? To be the ones whom God raised up to lead this fledgling church um, in the city of Ephesus. I mean, it is clear that this is the challenge that Timothy and the elders were facing. For sure, these false teachers will claim to be the ones who know the truth. I could almost hear them, don't listen to Timothy, He's, he's a newbie inexperienced. And we have been your elders for the past five to ten years or maybe more. And here comes somebody, Paul just dropped him here and installed as your pastor, but he has not proven himself. He has not proven anything yet. Even today, the question remains, isn't it? The question remains: Who are the leaders whom God raised up for the church? Who are the leaders that we can trust? Who should be leading the church? Ah, see, si brother na lang kasi, nung stinart ng church, and dito na yan eh? You know? Haligi na ng church yan. If Paul reminded Timothy, that the church is holding, our series is House of Truth, the holder and keeper of the gospel. If Paul reminded Timothy that the church is the pillar, the, the one who holds and the buttress, the one who guards the gospel, which is not only powerful to, sanctify, to, to save but to sanctify then the genuine leaders of the church should prove themselves through their gospel-shaped lives. Through their gospel-shaped lives. The gospel that we're holding is not an impotent gospel. The gospel that we are believing is not a gospel that simply informs. It is the gospel that transforms. And what Other way to prove that these are the people whom God raised up to lead the church, but the people whom the gospel has transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why Paul knew that the only way that Timothy will prove himself worthy to lead the church of Ephesus, especially because he was young, is by his life. Remember that. Paul admonished Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And Paul told Timothy, this young, fearful, timid pastor of the church of Ephesus, Paul said to him, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, In love, in faith, and in purity. Paul did not, listen carefully, Paul did not say, Be ready with your argument. You should know covenant theology and be able to argue with them. No, no, he said, No, this is your weapon, Timothy. Your life, your speech, your conduct, your love, your purity, and your faith. That's how important is the life of the leader's Of the church. If the gospel is powerful to change lives, there is no other way to know those whom God has raised to lead the church but the very life that the gospel produces. The very life that the gospel produces. For Paul, this is non negotiable. Notice that Paul did not just say might, therefore, an overseer might. Uh, be an above reproach. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, therefore, an overseer must, must be above reproach. It is the standard. It should not be, a standard should not be adjusted. It should not be adjusted to fit in some in the church so that they will qualify. It should not be adjusted so that the unqualified will fit into the eldership. It should not be lowered down just so that we have what we call as elders in the church. I know, elders. So here's what we need to do. There are no mature people in the church. Let's lower down the standard so that our people will qualify. And then we can boast that we have people in the church that we call elders. When I learned of John MacArthur's church and, and learned that there are 70 elders in the church, I would have hoped we have at least seven elders now. But we cannot lower the standard. Something should be changed. Yes. But it is not the standard. It is us who should be changed in order that we will qualify the qualifications set before us by the scripture. No, it's not something that would change. It should be someone who should change the one who aspires for eldership the one who aspires for the office of an overseer should be the one to change not the standard for an overseer because an aspiring elder know how noble the work that he would take guarding the gospel spreading the right the gospel making sure that everyone in the church behave properly so that we display the gospel as a community of faith because of the nobleness of the work. The one who aspires for eldership will set his heart to grow in these qualifications. He sets his heart to grow in these qualifications set before us. If you want to be an elder or a deacon, Um, In the church, we already said last time, we will celebrate. Um, It is a noble task. It is a noble desire. We will rejoice in that. But listen, you cannot be slothful in the means of grace that God has given us. You cannot find excuses not to join the small group or any discipleship that would foster your growth. One who aspires the leadership, whether the office of an elder or the office of the deacon, sets his heart upon these qualifications. And really, for women and the rest of us in the church, if you are, if you are a youth and you think, okay, that's supposed to be for the leaders, now I'm still a youth or I'm a woman. Remember that elders are examples of the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, that the elders are supposed to lead by their examples. And what does it mean for the elders to be an example for us, but that these qualifications are the things that you and I should also be true, should also be pursuing. That elders, yes, they have to be above reproach, but if you are the Juan de la Cruz on a Sunday, you are supposed to be above reproach. If you are a simple wife, and you think, oh, I'm not an elder, I'm just an ordinary wife. No, you're not an ordinary wife. You are a Christian wife. And you're supposed to be an above reproach. I'm just a student. Pastor, let me be serious on that years down the line. No, you're not just a student. You are a Christian student, and you're supposed to be above reproach. Here's my big idea this morning. An elder is one whose heart is consumed by the gospel so that he is living blamelessly before men and faithfully before his wife with the glory of Christ. I think that's worth reading again. An elder is one whose heart is consumed by the gospel so that he is living blamelessly before men and faithfully before his wife for the glory of Christ. At the heart of these qualifications, really, is the knowledge and experience of the power of the gospel in the lives of these men. These qualifications are but outward manifestations of the inward understanding of the gospel. These are outward manifestations of the inward understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are 11 qualifications just in verses 2 and 3. 11 qualifications. It will take us at least six weeks to finish these two verses. Verses 2 and 3, uh, by God's grace, we will be on that two verses for the next six weeks or including today, for the next five weeks. Today, we will only focus on the first two, above reproach and the husband of one wife. So with this, we are looking at two things this morning. Above reproach, the elder's blamelessness erases any form of suspicion from anyone. The elder's blamelessness erases any form of suspicion from anyone. And second, a husband... Of one wife, the elder's faithfulness gives him a reputation of being fully devoted to his wife. Uh, so our elders to be should be known for this too. At least today we'll focus on that. Above reproach, the elder's blamelessness erases any form of suspicion from anyone. Now if these qualifications are born out of one's understanding of the gospel, then it should be that he manifests his devotion to Christ in all areas of his life. In all areas of his life. One, cannot, one can only be above reproach. One can only be above reproach when he manifests maturity, not in some, but in all. But in all areas of life in other words a, a an elder cannot be just a good husband but not a good steward of money it cannot be that an elder is just you know faithful to his wife but short tempered an elder can only be above reproach if he excels in all of this and it's no wonder why above reproach is listed And it is for a reason. Above reproach is like the quality of qualities. The quality of qualities. The qualification of qualifications. To mean that one cannot be above reproach if he fails in other qualifications. As I've said, if one is a drunkard, or if one is is hospitable but a drunkard, he cannot be above reproach if one has faith is faithful to his wife, but a lover of money, he cannot be above reproach. There's something in him that can be reproached. One is above reproach when he manifests all these qualifications that Paul gave here. Now let's unpack that. Reproach simply means that there is a problem in a person that others can touch or others can perceive. Right? There is i would say glaring problem in the life of that person think of a person who could have been perfect if not of his short-temperedness okay naman yan si brother mag-ingat ka lang sa sabihin mo dahil you know madali lang pumotok yung fuse niya eh ay gusto gusto ko yan si brother masarap kasama You know? pero pagdating sa pera walang ano ano yan, sa pera we will find ourselves you know talking about he is good but the moment we say but and that person is not yet above reproach there is something in the area of the life of a person that i as i have said that is glaringly problematic from the eyes of others when we are talking about A person who is above reproach, first, we are not talking about perfection. Let's be clear with that, but a problem from the observation of others. Now, that is why when you are above reproach, the, the thinking that I don't care what you uh, think about me, so long as my heart is clear before God cannot be applied to an elder. It doesn't, supposedly it doesn't apply to us believers. Well, if we know exactly we have done nothing at all, but we are judged wrongly, then there's no problem with that. But if we're saying, I don't care what you say to me, but they have merits, they have reasons, uh, and the reasons are valid to say all those things, you cannot justify yourself and say, I don't care what you say about me so long as I know that I have a pure heart before God. Really, brother? Econa. It is not about perfection, but it is, a, it is living at the standard. It is living at that standard that those who know the Scripture would naturally expect from their elders. And whether you like it or not, if you are a leader, there is an automatic expectation from people around us. John MacArthur himself said, this is a very... Um, Pastoral preaching, and if it is a pastoral preaching, you can go to John MacArthur. He said, it does not mean that a man has to be perfect. If so, we will all be disqualified. It means that there must not be any great blood. There must not be any great blood on him that others, look at the, another Highlight there, others might point to. So, when we are talking about above reproach, we are dealing with how others perceive us. There should be no blight in our character that others would readily see without even scrutinizing. This is what we're talking about here. Some problems we need to scrutinize. Some problems, we need to talk over coffee because even others could not see that problem. And you're saying, that there is a problem in my heart and help me out to see this problem. And others have a hard time helping you see the problem. This is not what we're talking about here. Above reproach, there is no need to scrutinize because everyone sees it. It's a glaring problem. There's a man who is above reproach is not perfect but when others talk about him it is not a particular problem in his life that would automatically autom- automatically come out you know marites putayo paminsan and uh, i would have hoped wala sana nangyayaring ganun pero yung mga toilets and marites Please stop that. But if us, what they How would a person describe you? Have you, have you ever, uh, during the wedding shower of I think Roy and uh, what was it? What was it? there Je- well, Anyway, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, but there was like, what is the one word that you would describe? Oh, you know. What is the one word that you would describe, Roy? No one should be able to say, oh, brother, one word, um, lover of money? <laughs> one word, how am I going to describe this brother? Um, short-tempered. No, no, I'm not talking about Roy let's be clear about it if talk, if they if they'll ask us to dis, if they'll ask to describe us in one word no one should say undisciplined if this are so then these problems have defined us so that these are the things that would come to mind when people think about us Paul's words in Ephesians 5 verse 3 applies to the elders and applies to all of us. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5 verse 3. He said, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named, highlight that, must not be even named among you. As is proper among saints, what Paul is saying here that that sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness should not define any saint. It should not be our defining characteristic. all of us would struggle with sexual immorality at some point, all of us would discover would struggle with covetousness at some point all of us would pray if you see a brother with a new car all of us would say i hope i would get that car too but it does it it it's another thing if you are defined by that it's another thing if it describes you this is what we're talking about here Notice again that Ephesians 5.3 is not only for elders, but for every Christian. So let me just address the whole congregation and not just the elders-to-be. What is the first word that comes in mind when people think about you? How will they describe you? How will they describe us? If reproach means there is a problem in one's character that others can hold, touch, and perceive, then above reproach means one is somewhat blameless in the eyes of others. And the word above here helps paint a picture for us that we are above reproach. We live at such a high standard. We live at such a high standard so that we are beyond the reach of reproach. We are beyond the reach of reproach. It should be a Daniel-like life. Uh, For our elders and for all of us, we should live a Daniel-like life or a Job-like life. Remember, Job was described as a man who is righteous and blameless. But the magicians, the wise men who were so angry with Daniel and they want to pull down Daniel... They, they looked at each other. How, how are we going to, to pull down Daniel? We could not see anything in his life. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4 to 5 it reads. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5, Then these men said, Watch, We shall not find any ground or complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And That's the only fault that they find in Daniel, that he prayed three times a day. Now would you believe that Daniel is perfect? Not if Daniel came from Adam, too. Daniel was truly not perfect. But there is such a thing that others could not find something to pin him down. This is the beautiful picture of above reproach. We, none of us are perfect, but when we are above reproach, others cannot find anything to pull us down. This is the kind of life that leaders should have, because this is the life that others would respect and trust, so that they will follow them. So that they will follow them. Others should not be able to hold or touch or perceive a glaring problem in one's life that would give them a hard time giving the respect that should be given to a leader. Someone sometimes, ang congregation lang yung. Yung ano, yung pinipilit yung sarili. Ayoko lang tingnan yung parte na yan ng buhay ni Pastor. Magsastruggle lang ako. Or if any one of you feels that way, come to me. And I'll be willing to step down. Because that's not supposed to be the life of a pastor. The pastor should struggle with your life. You don't struggle with my life. If only that you can obey and follow. You see a picture of a man who is above reproach. Far from being perfect, but there is no glaring problem in his life that becomes a hindrance for others to respect and trust him. Others don't have to turn a blind eye just so that they can respect and follow us. The congregation should not just close their eyes because if they would not close their eyes, they cannot listen to you standing in front. For our aspiring elders, there is no hard to ask others. Oh, no. It's hard, but we should ask others. I think there's wisdom to say, what do you think I still need to grow if I am to be an elder? If you are married, then go to your wife and ask your wife, what is there in my life that you are struggling so that even you as my wife is having a hard time following me and I can only imagine the rest of the congregation. If you are a Christian, we're not talking about elders. If you are a Christian, there is wisdom to ask others because you too should be above reproach. Have it ever happened in our small group? Brothers, what do you see in my life? Have you ever did that? Can you give me an honest assessment? Can you tell me the truth, brother? Or it's all, I tell you the truth, brother. Because a Christian or an above reproach man has gained such trust. Here's how we would know. Others do not expect any hidden problem in his life. Others do not expect in any hidden problem in his life. If anything, they fully trust him. Defined above reproach saying, Being above reproach means that an elder is to be the kind of man whom no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. And because of that, people would be shocked. To hear this kind of man charged with such acts. For sure, when one reaches this kind of status from the eyes of the others, it doesn't necessarily mean he is perfect. But nonetheless, we have a sense of how an above reproached person is perceived and trusted. Isn't it? Let me give you an example to this one. And... I remember hearing the news about Ravi Zacharias. Have you heard that? That shocked, the shock that it made me, and upon all of us, made me realize how much we have trusted him. How much we have trusted him. How many books of Ravi Zacharias are on my shelves. After a big conference that he made here in the Philippines, I saw a post in Facebook saying, I feel like I can trust this man with my life. That's such a high trust given. When it came out that he was actually engaging in sexual immorality all these years, I found myself in disbelief. It brought fear in my heart. I remember thinking, if this happens to such a high-profile man of God, is there any possibility that this would also happen to me? In other words, because of my high trust on him, I did not see it coming. And highlight that. I did not see it coming. I think it helps us understand how a person who is above reproach, others will not expect something like this that will come out of his life. The life of a person who is above reproach normally and naturally creates in others such a trust and respect so that he is held to such high expectation. It's just natural, isn't it? It's just natural. If, if you trust that person and you have high respect on that person, you don't even have to think that you have high expectations. That's what an above reproach person. Because of this, it should not only be true from others' perspective, but from the elders' knowledge as well. A man who is above reproach is not only enjoying such view of others, he knew for himself that there is no no disqualifying sin in his life. That's why I respect those who would say that I aspire to be an elder pastor, but there are a lot of things that I still have to work in my life, and that's fine. All of us are work in progress. But it is no wonder that we should set our hearts to grow in these qualifications. Highlight that word, grow. We all need to grow. Yesterday when we were talking about eldership, we said, when you talk about manage his household well, I said, it is not learned over time. And it is something that you just... Lo- it's, it is learned over time. And no one learns it overnight. And There you go. We just have to set our heart to grow with that. So looking at that, I hope I have painted to us a clear picture of what we are looking for. Are elders in the church? With such a high demand, why should an elder, why should anyone seek to be an elder? And why should an elder seek to be above reproach? Remember that Paul, in the presence of false teachers, Paul knew that a life which shows the work of the gospel, a life that is above reproach, is what will separate the ones who deserve to be an elder in the church. In other words, it's not giving these false teachers any reason to question the elders and the elders-to-be. Because a questionable elder loses the trust and respect needed to lead the church. So this is crucial. Crucial first and foremost because effective leadership really banks on respect and trust. It really banks on respect and trust. Second, remember that leadership is discipleship. It is very important because leadership is discipleship. Leaders set themselves as an example for the rest of the church to follow. If elders are not above reproach, the rest of the congregation would not aspire to be above reproach. I understand the weight of being a pastor. I cannot expect to lead you to a life that I do not have any idea at all because it is not true with me. That's why the latest um, book on preaching by Joel Beeke is something I love the most. Because in chapter 2 of that book, Joel Beeky said that for a preacher, before he preaches anything, he should experience it in his life. Elders should remember that being above reproach is not only for leaders, but for all Christians, it is for the whole church, but they are modeling it, they are setting themselves as an example. Yes, let us hold our elders to such a high expectation, but we should all aim for that same life that we hold our elders. We should aim for the same life. We should all aim for a life where others won't expect any sin that will suddenly come out. To be there for the longest time. The implication is that an elder in the church should live Coram Deo. The elders in the church should live in the face of God. We should live in the face of God. What I mean to say is that the kind of reverence that we show to God when we come to Him in prayer is the same reverence that we show to God when we are in the Jeep. It is supposed to be the same reverence that we show to God when we are at work. We are always living before the face of God. And the reason why we need to learn how to live in the face of God, because when we are living focusing on God, we nip sin in the bud we kill sin in the bud before others will begin to see that, that in us and define us from the eyes of others. There is no other way for us to live, to, to live a blameless and above reproach life, but to learn how to live a life focused on the Lord 24-7. Now I'm not pressuring us. It is not the maximum. It is the minimum for every Christian. We are supposed to focus on the Lord. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. I see you, you know, making that big. Um, should you want to go to second? <laughs> The next one that we find here, husband of one wife, the elder's faithfulness should give him a reputation of being fully devoted to his wife. So husband of one wife, this is the second qualification that Paul gave of an elder. And it is mentioned second for a reason. Some some people would say, tell me how he treats his wife and I tell you what kind of person he is. Makes sense. Makes sense. If you cannot treat your wife rightly, whom you said you love, why would I expect you to treat others rightly as well? If, if husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies, Ephesians 5.28, then the way they treat their own wives is reflective of who they are the way they treat their own wives is reflective of who they are. What does a husband of one wife mean? It means he is not a Muslim. There were those who said that an elder should have a wife. In other words, he should be married. That's not what the text, I believe, says. You know? Andy, if he remains to be single, if he chooses to remain single, he can be our elder in the church. Others would say that it means an elder should only be married once in his lifetime. But what if an elder um, became a widower and he would remarry? The scripture says the covenant is no longer standing. Because the person died. And there were those who said that an elder should not be polygamous, meaning that he has multiple wives all at the same time. But that's that what Paul meant when he said a husband of one wife. What does Paul mean by this expression, a husband of one wife? The stress here is in the words, or in is in the words one wife. In the original, if you really look at it, it's really one wife one woman man he is a one woman man a one woman is used as an adjective to describe the man it is clear by this emphasis that paul, that made by paul that the expression does not mean an elder should have a wife a one wife or married only once or have or not have more than one wife, but it means an elder is faithful to his wife. An elder is faithful to his wife. Now, well, this will be taken lightly today, to mean, oh, it's given already. It was almost seen as foolishness for any man to be faithful to one man back then and their community. Even the disciples of Jesus found it better not to marry than not being allowed to divorce a wife except for adultery. Remember Matthew 19? Listen to the words to the, to the words of the disciples in Matthew 19, verse 10. Here's what they said. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. This is after Jesus said uh, in the first place, in the beginning, it was not the will of God for someone to divorce, but it was because of your stubbornness. But today, if Jesus said, if someone should divorce, he should divorce his wife only for the reason of marital infidelity. And the disciples are saying, if that is the case, then I would not marry. It is reflective of the... uh, her at the time, man is man, we are men. Women are low. Man should be allowed to be polygamous. Or not allowed, but uh, you know, you can divorce your wife. They said for the Sadducees who are very liberal, you can divorce your wife because you overcooked your rice. For the point is that any a man at the time sh- should be given a right to divorce his wife anytime he wants. (laughs) Even today, faithfulness to one's wife is rather rare. It may not be as accepted back then. Husbands today would rather keep it hidden. But still, a high percentage of husbands are engaging in adultery. In other words, It's still difficult today for most husbands to be unfaith to be faithful to their wives. In the context of polygamy, where it was almost impossible for men to have to only have one wife that he is faithful to, Paul was separating the elders not only that they were contented to have one wife, but that they loved their wives with all their hearts. Ah, the elders palay are lovers. If you consider Paul's theology, the gospel made it possible that the husband will love his wife like Christ loved the church. In the gospel, this is now possible. It is in the context of the husband's desire to love like Christ that he is able to love his wife faithfully. See, I'm always asked several times, even in our church, why polygamy was permitted in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament. Although Jesus said that it was permitted only because of Israel's stubbornness, that it was really not the will of God from the beginning, we have a clear command from Paul that a husband should give himself fully to his wife if he is living in a manner worthy of the Lord. It means... That now that Jesus had finished his work of redemption, to be faithful to one wife is now possible. Before Jesus died on the cross, yes, it is permitted. But after Jesus died on the cross, it is expected that a man will have, will devote himself to one wife. The gospel is central to everything. And I just love that I was born on this side of the cross. Now, I am given the capacity through the Holy Spirit to love my wife with everything I have. If the Bible is about Christ redeeming His people, his body, his body, the his, the God's people, then the one flesh relationship points to the relationship of Christ and the church. So when Adam and Eve had a one flesh relationship, they were naked. We are told Genesis 2.25. They were naked. They did not hide anything from each other. That one flesh relationship foreshadows the one-flesh relationship, the relationship, the faithful relationship between Christ and the church. But now that it's displayed, now that Christ is displayed, that relationship between Christ and the church will now be displayed between husband and wife. And because modeled... Because Christ modeled such love by giving himself for the church. Ephesians 5.25 The husband should give his life fully for the good. Take note. The husband should give himself fully for the good. If your wife here is saying, Husband, you should give yourself fully to me. Give me that. For the good. Not for the wants of the wife. For the good of the wife. Giving of oneself to his wife is what faithfulness is all about. Giving of oneself to his wife is what faithfulness is all about. It is no wonder that this follows the qualification of being above reproach because the faithfulness of the husband to a wife is a clear indication of the husband's devotion to Christ. It is a clear indication of the husband's devotion if a husband extension to say wedding you bro <laughs> if a husband is really consumed by the gospel if he's really consumed by the gospel he should be faithful to his wife he should be humbled of the truth that while he is the worst of all sinners Christ gave his life for him If Christ died for him, though he is the worst, how can the husband not give his life for his wife, though he is worse than his wife? Now, how can he not give his life for his wife to honor Christ who gave his life for him? The implication of this, to the qualification for eldership, is that an elder should model faithfulness to one's spouse So that the husbands in the church would follow. Or so that the wives in the church would follow in that matter. Or any other relationship. Our relationship is supposed to be defined by faithfulness. It is not supposed to be defined by sentiments. It is not supposed to be defined by resentments. Our our relationship towards one another as a church should be defined by faithfulness and trust towards one another. But how does being faithful, how does faithfulness look like? Let me just quickly say a little thing here and we will be closing in a while. How does faithfulness look like? Let me say three things quickly. Being faithful means he is humbled to be given his wife he is humbled to be given his wife. Genesis 2.23, when Adam was given his wife, he worshipped and said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Yes, faithfulness is proven by our action, but faithful actions continually flow from a grateful heart. Hindi natin pwedeng sabihin, pasalamat ka na lang na maayos pa rin ako. Pasalamat ka na lang na hindi ako nang apit bahay. Salamat kanalang parin ako dito sa. Pamamahing ito. You know, faithful husbands continue to be grateful for their wives. And so, husbands in the here right now, are you grateful? Are you still grateful? More grateful than the day of your wedding? Are you thanking God daily that God, in his goodness and grace, has given you a wife? despite of the fact that you could not even accept the face that you see every day in the mirror. For this matter, wives, are you still grateful for your husbands? Is there gratefulness? Or at some point you're saying, "Ang kaniman a asawa oy. <laughs> It's only for this. It's a good thing to ask. Or it might it might be that the only left is formality. Just formality, to say the least. But anger, hatred, resentment, to say the worst. No faithful husbands will be grateful to their for their wives throughout the rest of their lives. Secondly, <laughs> Being faithful means he has no greater earthly loyalty but to his wife. He has no greater earthly loyalty but to his wife. Genesis 2.24, we know that uh, the husband would leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. Yes, he provides, he guides, but he also protects his wife. Faithful husbands protect Protect his wife. But today, not only that wives talk about their husbands in degrading manner, but the husband also sometimes talk about their wives in degrading manner. It is not being loyal. It's not being loyal. And I'm not saying that we, that we say false things to others if only that we can make our wives look good. But a protector does not destroy the one whom he's trying to protect. And yes, there is room where we can go to others and ask for counsel, but we make sure that we ask counsel for someone that would not put my wife in a bad light before others. I am my wife's protector. (laughs) Lastly, being faithful means he is totally transparent to his wife. My wives, take a picture. Genesis 2.25, we are told that and and both of them were naked and they were not ashamed. Sometimes, the only nakedness that the husband knows is physical. But beyond that, there's no nakedness anymore. There's no transparency anymore. It is not faithfulness. If we are not doing any sin, then there should be nothing that we are keeping, which if our wives will know, we know that it might destroy our marriage. A good old transparency is still the picture of faithfulness. It doesn't mean that we say everything good. We can confess to one another and maintain transparency. Husbands, maybe when your wife is sleeping well, And look at your wife and you're thinking, how can I tell you? Maybe it's the right time to sit down and say, can we talk? Oh, may the Lord send, you know, his sanctification. And may he renew our marriages and bring us back to a one flesh relationship with our wife. So yes, before I forget that this is not a wedding, an elder should be faithful to his wife. An elder should be faithful to his wife. But it should not be some generic idea of faithfulness. It should not be some idea, generic idea. It should be the faithfulness from the standpoint of the scripture that an elder should pursue. Because Jesus considers it adultery when a man looks at a woman lustfully, an elder or any husband or even the wife should pursue this. An, old, an elder should be content with not not only content with not sleeping with another wife, but he does not think sexually of any other woman. An elder should have learned throughout time to discipline himself, to discipline his thoughts, that he only allows, he only allows his mind to think of his wife when it comes to sexual things. And I would go on to say that an elder should not be engaged in a spouse-level conversation alone with an opposite sex. There is a spouse-level conversation where we are so vulnerable to our wife or the wife is so vulnerable to us. Any man in the church should not engage himself with that kind of or level of conversation. Because it will lead nowhere. It will lead nowhere but immorality. There are conversations that only a wife and a husband will do. It is no wonder that when it comes to intimacy between Christ and the church, God chooses the intimacy of the husband and the wife as the picture of that intimacy. Because that level of intimacy only belongs to husband and wife. Lesson: Magasawa na kayo, mga single. (laughs) An elder is one whose heart is consumed by the gospel, so that he must be living blamelessly before men and faithfully before his wife. For the glory of Christ. See, before the elder's service to the church, he should be known for his blameless life and faithful marriage. He should be known for his blameless life and faithful marriage. So what are we known for? What are you known for? Now this question is not only for an elder, but for all of us. And this question speaks of who we are before others. The more religious term for that is this is talking about our testimony. This is the testimony of the gospel. Are, are we known for our living an immoral life? Are we known for living uh, and faithfulness to our spouse or being contentious or lover of money? If we are, then we do not have a good testimony. The gospel is rendered unfruitful in our lives. Second Peter chapter one verse eight. And would it not be good if we are known for our blameless life? Would it not be good? Na kahit anong scrutiny na gagawin ng iba, ay wala silang masasabing masama patungkol sa aten. And if you are married, would it be good that we are known as faithful to our spouse? So we should all work for these things. And you know, when I say we work for these things, we should be able to see where we are weak. Don't wait for others to see where you are weak. See where you are weak. And then humble yourself before God. Confess it before the Lord that in this area, Lord, In this area, I'm browsing through my Facebook and I always find myself stopping when there are TikToks that shows a lot of flesh, that arouses me lustfully. There is a problem in my heart. I am drawn towards these things. Acknowledge it before the Lord turns to the gospel and realize that though we are these worse, why can't, when I browse the Facebook, why can't I rejoice in the seeming success of others? Why are their success became a torment to my soul? There is covetousness in my heart. Now as you see how worse you are, turn to the gospel and realize, how could God love such a wretch like you? How could God love such wretched people like us? And as the gratefulness begins to surge from our hearts, then let that gratefulness and thankfulness that God has loved us fuel us towards the change that should happen in our lives. Look for an accountability partner. If you know exactly that the problem is so deep and you need accountability partner whom you can confess to on a regular basis because he will hold you accountable, she will hold you accountable, look for an accountability partner. It shows that you are dead serious to overcome that sin. If you're saying, Lord, I I am so convicted of this sin, but Lord, I cannot share this to others. No, you're not serious of overcoming it. If you are alone with your sin, Satan can play his tricks. And if you're choosing to be alone with your sin, you are already choosing to enjoy that sin. Do not just confess. Do not just confess after you sinned. This is a problem with us. We only confess when we are, we've fallen to sin. Do not just confess before you sin. Seek to confess when you are still being tempted so you will not fall. Students, parents, fathers, mothers, children, remember that we want to be above reproach. And we want to be faithful. We need one another. And don't be ashamed. You are confessing to a fellow sinner. Men, the world that we are living in tells us that you are the most adorable man if you have the greatest number of cars and the greatest number of women. It is for this reason why a lot of men want to be rich, famous, handsome, and sleep with as many women as they could. Because it is seen as an adorable man. It should not be among us. Yes, we work hard. But we work hard to be be above reproach and be faithful to our wife. If If the men in the world will kill themselves to get what they want, shouldn't we at least not be slothful and continue to deceive ourselves that things would happen while we are sitting and could not even open our scripture? It is time for us to take off our diapers and start wearing pants because we are grown-up men and go to work. We cannot continue to allow little things as valid excuses not to be consistent in the means of grace that God has provided for us. See, if the women are excited to meet with each other for edification, at least men, lang, men, tapatan naman natin yung excitement ng mga asawa natin. But really, as leaders, we should be the ones who are most passionate for spiritual things. And we should uh, we should be asking God for all the desire and all the energy that we need to lead in spiritual things. Because we want to be above reproach. And we want to be faithful. Let's act like men. Let's act like men from Scripture. And no longer just play around. It costs the blood of Christ so that there will be men who are above reproach. How much are you willing to pay that you can have a life of, that is above reproach? An elder should be consumed by the gospel so that he is not only known for his service to the church, but his blameless life and faithfulness to his wife. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.com org, or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.